Recorded during the Plague Year 2020, this is the Andromeda Minute, a show where Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays we go over one minute of the all-too-timely Robert Wise-directed uh, techno-thriller, the 1971 feature The Andromeda Strain, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tvdads.com. And I'm Toshi Komatsu from, I'm a planetarium director in California. Toshi, thanks so much for being back on the show. Uh, it's fascinating. You've, you've had a fascinating career, and you continue to have a fascinating career. You're still still doing things. Um, but uh, we're here in the middle of uh, looking at a green blob that's growing on a on a pebble in a satellite that uh, came from outer space. And uh, we're looking at what the scientists are planning on on doing with this. Uh, hopefully. Uh, and this, uh, as as we talked about in the last episode, uh, didn't realize this was going to be a, a semi real life experience of bringing something in from uh, from the uh, you know the other side of our solar system to uh, to take a look at. Hopefully not with green blobs, but yeah, uh, we, we'd uh, like to avoid any any more viruses. Uh, we don't yeah. need any of that <laughs> right now. We're dealing with enough of the earthbound ones, so uh, we're we're looking at them examining. Uh, they were originally going to be examining the, the the rock, which seemed to have unusual elastic properties, and uh, this is, I guess, something that we're going to be facing is examining rocks from uh, from our solar system that are being brought back on on two separate missions uh, to two different asteroids. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, the the two missions that uh, that we have com- coming in, one is uh, from the uh, the Japanese space agency uh, JAXA, and uh, the other one is uh, NASA's own uh, program. Uh, yeah, so the NASA one is uh, Osiris Rex, and that's this is the first asteroid sample return mission that NASA uh, has done. Uh, the Japanese there was a there was a Hayabusa one. They didn't call it Hayabusa one, but there was Hayabusa, and that went to a uh, an asteroid. And uh, brought back some samples, and then uh, sort of building on that mission, they launched Hayabusa 2, um, which went to a different asteroid. And those samples are scheduled to come back uh, just in a little bit as we record here. That's supposed to come back in December of 2020, so that's real soon. The samples from the OSIRIS-REx mission, those uh, are scheduled to come back in about three years, in 2023. And hopefully won't be open in a small New Mexico town somewhere. (laughs) Uh, No. Now uh, this uh, they the uh, I think the NASA mission they're actually coming down in the in the Utah desert and I'm sure they will be tracking it and there'll be GPS monitoring <laughs> they'll know exactly where it's it's going to land yeah um, yeah for and, sure and then uh, I guess the next part of it part of it is going to not to uh, not to a uh, five level sub basement with a nuclear bomb in the middle of the place but uh, it's actually going to be heading to uh, Houston where where the lunar samples are now. Yeah, there's a whole division of NASA uh, called the NASA Astro Materials Curation Facility, and they're actually building a brand new facility um, that they've been planning for a while. But part of the idea was that they were they were expecting these samples back from the asteroid that had just got tagged, asteroid Bennu, and so they're building a brand new facility. So it'll be all state of the art, and they'll be analyzing it with every kind of tool that you can imagine, doing um, spectroscopy. And really, what they want to do is they want to study these samples. Um, at the molecular level, so it won't just be looking at it even with just a electron scanning microscope, um, but to look at it in every way possible down to the molecular level to try to figure out what's going on with these samples. Yeah, it's, I mean, it really brings up, uh, it's the core of cosmology of uh, what, what's out there in the asteroid uh, belt is, it, it's really the, the basic building blocks, hopefully, well, uh, at least what current theories are, is that those are the, when the solar system began to accrete 
and build itself up, this may be some of the oldest material in our solar system. Yeah, so a lot of the material that, I mean, obviously the Earth is made out of material, the same material, but we have weather and volcanoes and earthquakes and erosion and all sorts of things. So uh, all the material has been, you know, has changed over the millennia that it's been here on Earth. So to get these uh, pristine samples from the very beginning of the solar system, that's why we're going to asteroids to uh, collect samples from there because those would be pristine material that it'd be like uh, having a time machine or a time capsule to go back and take a look and see what uh, sort of concentrations there are, what uh, minerals were available in the early part of the solar system, um, if there was any more organic material, like amino acids, um, even to look down at you know how much water is locked up in the minerals as well because that all has implications for the development of life right here on Earth. I was trying to find out. I, I wasn't sure what the what the total amount of uh, material is coming back, but I'm I'm thinking it can't be very much to get it uh, the the amount of energy that's required to bring it from the uh, the asteroid belt back to Earth's orbit. That that's a lot of uh, that's a big change in velocity. So I'd imagine it would take a, a lot of energy to get it back here. Yeah. So I'm not sure on the the Hayabusa two how uh, big the sample size is. Although I know that they got. Um, you know, what they wanted, but for the OSIRIS-REx mission, which just uh, tagged uh, asteroid Bennu uh, just uh, last week as we record this, um, that they were hoping for 60 grams of material, um, which is a little bit less than two uh, official serving sizes of Cheerios, um, which is my <laughs> breakfast cereal of choice. Um, but uh, it's it's less than two servings of, of uh, Cheerios. That's what they're hoping as sort of the baseline. The containers uh, that they have on the, 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 the capsule to contain the material uh, can hold up to about two kilograms. Um, and it looks like actually that uh, that's what they were able to get um, when they tagged the asteroid. They got a whole bunch of material. Um, and so they're, they're confident that they, they definitely have their 60 grams. Uh, in fact, they, they may have several hundred grams of material. Wow. Yeah, I, I'd seen uh, some of the news reports said that it was overflowing and they actually had to shut the lid on it because there was <laughs> it's just spilling out. There was so much uh, there was so much uh, material that they were bringing back. It's yeah. Amazing. So it looks like what happened is uh, when the when the instrument, you know, hit the asteroid to collect the samples, um, asteroid Bennu was sort of a, surprising in a lot of ways because it turned out to be this this rubble pile with lots and lots and lots of rocks no one expected it to be that rocky they were expecting sort of a nice kind of sandy surface with a lot of fine particulate matter there but that's not what they found at all um, so there were a bunch of uh, larger chunks so what they think is that some larger chunks um, got lodged in a place where there was like a little door that was supposed to uh, trap the material so that it stays within the closed within the canister so what they think happened is that there were some larger chunks that are lodging that door open uh, a bit and that's why they were concerned about some of the material was getting lost so they were thinking about possibly going to a second site on Bennu to maybe uh, get some more samples and that was always kind of the contingency plan if they didn't get enough they were going to go to another site and possibly a third site um, to make sure that they got enough material get their 60 gram baseline um, but they've got plenty and stuff's leaking out so they said yeah okay let's make sure that we we put this uh, pack it away as soon as possible, so we have as much uh, material as we can get. Wow, it's it's stunning, and I I would imagine once it gets back, the you know there, there's this even with lunar materials now, 50 years on, uh, there is a lot of demand for for this uh, for you know the, this primary source material from from outside of of Earth, uh, trying to 
build up a uh, I'm, I'm assuming that there has to be justifications and things when you're doing things like destructive testing of these you know extremely you know this is going to be one of the rarest materials on earth uh, pretty soon so trying to uh, come up with uh, reasons and justifications for what you're going to test on this I think would be one of the the more um, controversial well, not controversial but one of the things that you'd have to argue greatly for to figure out you know what what benefit you're going to get out of uh, testing of this material yeah again if you know assuming that they they fill the 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 uh, containers and they're able to bring back a full two kilograms again if you think about two kilograms that's not very much uh right so um, yeah uh so and that's all that there is you know in, on the entire world and it's not all going to uh uh johnson in this new curation facility, um, again, there are international partners. So, you know, some group is going to get, you know, this percentage and another group is going to get this percentage. And uh, so uh, it won't all even be in one place. Like it's going to kind of get divvied up for different research operations. The primary one will, will be Johnson, um, but, uh, but it'll be, you know, those, you know, a little bit going here and a little bit going there. Um, and uh, again, if you, if you destroy it, then, you know, that's it. So um, as compared to the, the lunar rocks, the lunar samples that were brought back, we brought tons and tons of that stuff. So, um, you know, they're precious, but, you know, there's a, there's still a lot more than two kilograms uh, lying around. So Yeah, and um, and hopefully we'll be, go- we'll be going back for more pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the reasons why they chose uh, Bennu in particular. Um, I'm a little bit more familiar w- with Bennu, but it's um, a near-Earth uh, object. Um, one of the reasons why they chose it was because, you know, if they find something interesting, it's relatively easy to go back to Bennu as opposed to, you know, go into some far out place that never gets uh, near Earth is sort of like a one-time shot. But with Bennu, there's the possibility that we could actually go back if we find something really interesting or, or for whatever reason we find the need uh, to go back. Um, it's relatively easy to do that. Yeah, and it's it's small enough that you can study it as a whole. I mean, I, the way I understand Bennu is it's roughly the size of uh, Central Park. Is not much, it, it's, not a, it's not a very large uh, item to study so you could uh, uh, cover a lot of a lot of information there was further you know with further, you could tr- check the, the top and the bottom of it with uh, you know the pole if there are poles uh, you you can get a lot more percentage of the material if you sent back uh, other missions yeah and uh, you know one of the things that they did is uh, with this sample uh, return the sample that they got they what they did was they had these um, nitrogen canisters um, that sort of blue and area, and they use nitrogen because it's an inert gas, so it hopefully it doesn't interfere within the material. Um, but they wanted to get some of the material that's um, that was right on the surface of Bennu, but they also wanted some of the material that was underneath, um, that might be again a little bit more protected from just flying out into space or around space. Um, so they wanted to get some of the subsurface material as well. Um, and again, it wasn't clear if they'd be able to get that on that first shot. So that's why, again, they had always planned to have, you know, one or two tries. But uh, this, um, the sample that they did actually ended up going, um, you know, they're, they're estimating, I was just looking this up, that they're estimating that it went in about 48 centimeters or about uh, 19 inches uh, in. So they went a significant way in. It was actually much further uh, in, uh, under the, through the surface than they had uh, expected. So there was sort of uh, some, I heard uh, the project scientist was saying they're, they're sort of a victim of their own success. In some <laughs> ways it worked too well. <laughs> but uh, so they got, uh, they got all their material and, uh, you know, more than they had even hoped for. Again, they were hoping for, you know, that 60 grams and, and they're coming back with a couple of kilos. So, 
yeah, and being able to you know studying it on a on a lab bench is probably a lot easier than uh, than trying to do things with remote sensing. But we, do, we we as as our technology has improved, we're 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 getting a lot better at remote sensing and being able to find out what things are made of, what chemicals are made of. I know, uh, as we mentioned previously on on, on the last episode, uh, you worked on the on the Kepler pro- program. And uh, since not since then, not just finding uh, exoplanets, finding planets that are uh, on other and in, in solar systems other than our own, um, we can find out things like the chemical makeup of planetary atmospheres of other of other stars. Is that correct? Yeah. So one of one of the things about the Kepler mission is is it's uh, or the in exoplanet research right now, we've confirmed about forty three hundred planets. Uh, orbiting other stars. So there's a lot of them out there. Um, but we really haven't found any that are really like Earth. There are some planets that are more Earth-like than others, but there aren't really any that we found that we said, oh yeah, that's like an, an Earth twin. Um, so uh, we're still actively uh, studying these systems, um, and we're not really finding one that's you know easily able to say that, yeah, that's just like Earth, and if you know we could just get there, we could colonize it, no problem. So we're finding a lot of different configurations. So studying um, the material from the very beginning um, uh, to figure out what it is, what the initial conditions were in our solar system, that helps us understand what it's like or what the potential is for other star systems as well, other planetary systems uh, as well. Uh, getting back to uh, the, the movie the movie uh, that we've been talking about, The Andromeda Strain here, I was wondering what your own experience with The Andromeda Strain, the movie, was. Have, had you seen it when you were younger? Had, uh, do you have a lot of exposure to this movie at all? I have to admit I haven't seen the, the movie. It's sort of, you know, it's perennially on my list of movies to see, and I just haven't <laughs> had a chance to uh, to take a look. But um, I'm, I'm familiar with the, the basic idea behind it, but unfortunately I haven't uh, I haven't seen it myself. Yeah, it has it has its pluses and minuses, but it, it's I think in terms of hard science, from what if other I've had other scientists on the show, uh, it seems to be you know even though it's movie science, it it gets to be a little bit more uh, in line with how how you go about a scientific investigation of uh, you know make, creating a hypothesis, testing your experiment, and seeing whether it proves out what what your hypothesis was about uh, an action or a process. Um, it does have a lot of, uh, you know, drama and additions and, and we're, you know, things, things to, to get an audience interested in it. But uh, it, for me, it's one of my best hard science films that you can say, okay, this seems like real people would be, this, this may be real reactions to how people would respond to uh, an unknown. Um, do, you ha- do you have any, um, it, it, there, there aren't that many of them, but do you have any, uh, astrophysics or physics-based uh, fictional movies that you enjoy as you say this is this is plausible or this this feel this doesn't feel hollywood science um i'd have to kind of think about it contact uh comes to mind uh even yep. though again there's some you know there's uh, a lot of liberties there but um you know the the main character uh, that Jodie Foster plays in that movie. Um, that's based on a real scientist. I'm sure many of your, your listeners are, are aware, but that's based on a real scientist, Jill Tarter, who works at the SETI Institute. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, nice hard science uh, in there. Um, and uh, there's uh, like Interstellar and, and Gravity, which came out. Actually, I haven't seen uh, those either. Um, 
Yeah, avoid gravity. I would say. <laughs> just, it, I just, I just get upset when I watch gravity because it's like it, it's got nothing to do with with any kind of physics I've ever heard of. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely it's it's a difficult thing because uh, as we talked a little bit uh, in, in in the last episode, um, there's a lot of science that it just kind of takes time. And when you have a movie or even in a novel, you kind of have to keep things moving uh, a little bit. But uh, a lot of science takes a takes quite a bit of time so you know it, it is a trick but i know that there there is um an effort in in certain parts of of hollywood um to try to get a little bit more scientifically accurate uh about things and and several movies now they'll have um a scientific consultant who's an actual working scientist um so i think they are trying to do things better and uh and i know um like Battlestar Galactica, there was a consultant who, uh, I heard a story where um, the writers, they wanted to do one thing, and the the writer said, well, that wouldn't really work, because like in that environment, like this and this would happen, and they said, really? And it was actually way cooler than anything that the, the, the writers had thought of, so um, huh. so we're, we're making progress. Yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. I, I, we had uh, just finished doing uh, the Apollo 13 minute, which I think that that may have set the tone for you know although it was pseudo documentary i think being able to say that you know people actually actually solving real problems is fascinating in itself so uh, yeah. i think problem solving movies if you know if if they allow uh, room for uh, for scientific accuracy i think it it, it may help uh, <laughs> yeah. make watchability um, um, yeah hidden well, figures um comes to mind as well again that was sort of pseudo pseudo documentary um as far as the the content and you know some of it was played up for for the movie to to keep things moving um but that's another one where there was you know uh, quite a bit of attention on the the scientists themselves doing the work that it's not always glamorous um but uh, you know it's a process that you that you keep working at and and again fundamentally that's what science is all about it's about um working towards uh the answer yeah, and I think I think there is an audience for it. I think there's an audience of the curious. You know, I mean, you you must as a you know as a as a planetarium director, you must see the curiosity, the interest, the uh, the hunger people have for learning more about things they don't know about. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, the great thing about astronomy is that you know it's something that anybody can do you can you know look up and uh, well you know skies are getting more light polluted these days but um in general um you know you can look up and you can see the moon and you see planets in the sky and it's something that you know you don't need a whole lot of specialized equipment to get started um having an interest uh, in and so it's something that the sky is something that we all share um and uh, unites us uh, across uh, across the world um, and also throughout uh, throughout time, every culture around the planet had some sort of astronomical, um, uh, you know, everyone studied the sky, uh, whether it was just to figure out, you know, calendar systems and things like that. So it's something that really we have in common as a, as a human species. Uh, we have the sky and we have the study of the sky and the patterns of the celestial objects like the sun and the moon. Wow. Well, and if and again, if if people are having clouds or light pollution, there's always there's always a planetarium that people can visit. I hope, uh, hopefully, near them. Yeah. Uh, well, well uh, Toshi, thank you so much for being uh, part of the show. It's uh, this has been a fascinating uh, dive into one of my favorite projects, uh, Project Kepler, and being able to tie it into it with this movie is, uh, is something I've been looking forward to. But thank you again for being on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. 
Well, for folks who'd like to talk more about these uh, topics that we brought up, uh, always available on social media at uh, Facebook on Project Wildfire and Facebook and also on Twitter at uh, Andromeda Minute. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, and there's now 83 of them, uh, you can find them on whatever popular podcatcher you like on Apple uh, Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or uh, well, whatever your favorite podcatcher is, go, go check it out. And you can uh, subscribe and get all of our previous episodes. Or you can find it at our big site at andromedaminute.com. Uh, we'll be back to finish up the week on Friday. Uh, in the meantime, please do the three things that uh, will help us get through this plague as soon as possible. Uh, wash your hands, wear a mask, and uh, stay six feet apart from people when you're, when you're outdoors with folks you don't, you're not living with at the moment. Uh, anyway, we'll see you here as we finish up the week uh, next time on the Andromeda Minute. Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here. <laughs>